Find, please, in your copy of Scripture, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and we're going to begin reading in just a moment at verse 24. Hebrews 11, and we'll start reading at verse 24. We've been talking for three weeks now about disappointment. We've looked at the story of uh, Moses or several aspects of, of the story of Moses. We've talked about disappointment with ourselves. We've talked about disappointment with other people. We even last week talked about disappointment with God. We've acknowledged over these weeks that disappointment can be as simple as having planned and a cookout and it rained and you had to cancel it, or sometimes uh, disappointment is profound. Sometimes disappointment is heartbreaking. It means the, the death of a dream or worse. Today I want to offer a, a word on disappointment, and it is this. We will always be disappointed this side of heaven. And there is a land of no disappointment. You may have heard of the serenity prayer. It's a prayer that's been adopted, embraced by Christ followers who are in the recovery community. And the, at the conclusion of the prayer are these words. Trusting that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Trusting that I will be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. What interesting phraseology that it is possible to be reasonably happy in this life. But supreme happiness is just not possible here. I think Moses knew that. And so we're going to read about that, this, this truth that this planet is amazing and life is beautiful, but supreme happiness awaits us. If you'll look down at your copy of Scripture in Hebrews 11, we'll begin at verse 24. He's recapping the story of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, I want to pull over just for a second at, at the end of this verse because he says he speaks of disgrace for the sake of Christ. Now, uh, Moses lived 1,400 years before Christ Jesus, so how could the writer of Hebrews say that he considered it worth it to suffer disgrace for the sake of Christ? Well, Moses knew that he was part of God's mission to the world. He knew that God's mission to the world was headed somewhere. He didn't know. He couldn't have named, articulated the name of Jesus. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, though, did and knew that Moses was part of this grand sweep of history where God is moving in the world to fulfill his purposes, which would culminate in Jesus, although, although Moses could not have articulated that. But we're going to focus on that last phrase of verse 26, looking ahead to his reward. But let's continue to verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him, who, yes, saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And then he goes on to talk about the, the Exodus. But I want us to look back just really quickly at verse 26. He regarded disgrace 
for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses lived big. He also knew disappointment. And he knew by faith to look ahead to something better. Moses anticipated what is but is not yet. Peggy Noonan became famous for the speeches she wrote. She was the speech writer for uh, Ronald Reagan and for George H.W. Bush, then became the religion editor for CBS News and now is a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Peggy Noonan wrote about my generation, the boomer generation, and she said that we are so focused on this world that that we become rather despondent and despairing because we forget that supreme happiness is not possible here. These are, here are her words. Those who went before us, she said, the older generations, understood this life to be tough but relatively short in the grand scheme of things. But that was not a cause for despair, for their ultimate hope was in another world. The boomers, she said, given our skepticism about religion, Look for all our happiness here in this world. And believing this to be our only chance at happiness are despairing. Well, if that's true of my generation, is it not even more true of those generations that follow mine? By self-description, younger generations are in America are less and less Christian. So is it possible that one reason for the, our widespread despondency is that we are expecting more from this planet than this planet is able to give? A couple of examples. When we go to, um, to North Myrtle Beach on vacation, we always go to Barefoot Landing. This is our family with the kids and the grandkids. Barefoot Landing is it's kind of a little... It's not really a theme park. It's just this little place. They have some restaurants and ice cream shops. And, you know, there are a few rides, like little, uh, little boats for the kids, like little bitty boats and a place where little kids can kind of bungee jump. And then there's this guy who's there every year, rides a, a unicycle and uh, juggles fire and tells same corny jokes every year. Now, we go to Barefoot Landing and enjoy it, but we don't expect Barefoot Landing to be the same experience as, as say, Disneyland, right? I mean, Disneyland is bigger. There's more to it. There's a lot more excitement at Disneyland than there is at Barefoot Landing. Now, I'm still going to go. We still go to Barefoot Landing. We just, don't, we just don't expect the same thing as we would if we were to go to Disneyland, or if, if uh, in the park, there are two guys playing chess or checkers in the park, and I'm walking the dog, and I've got some time to kill. If I stop and I watch them play chess, well, that'd be kind of neat if they're cool guys. and I could enjoy that, but I, that wouldn't be the same as going to an SEC football game, right? I mean, the level of excitement would be different. I mean, I would enjoy, I guess, for a little while watching two guys play Yes, if they were really interesting, but I wouldn't have the same expectations of, of joy and excitement as I would have at an SEC football game. And here's another kind of weird one. I know some people like at the end of a long day, if they've been on their feet to soak their feet. I've never been a, a foot soaker, but you might be. You know, they, you get one of those uh, basins with, and put warm water in it and some Epsom salt and you 
You soak your feet, and that's a, I guess, I mean, I guess that's a good experience, but you wouldn't expect the same from that as you would sitting on the, in the sugar sand beaches of the Gulf and with, your, with a, your feet in the, in the ocean, right? I mean, it's two very different experiences. Now, I, w- I would, if Carrie were to come to me at the end of the day and say, honey, I know you've had a long day. Let me, let me draw some warm water. Would you soak your feet? I probably would. That's not, that's not real likely to happen, but I, I would. But I wouldn't have the same expectations as I would if I were sitting in a lawn chair on the edge of the ocean with my feet in the ocean. This planet is wonderful and life is a beautiful gift, but some of us may be expecting more of this planet than it can deliver. We can be reasonably happy in this life, but supreme happiness awaits us in the in the next, there's a reason why the Rolling Stones sang, I can't get no satisfaction. There's a reason why you too sang, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. There's a reason why the Los Lonely Boys sang, I know there's a better place than this place I'm living. There's a reason that Sugarland sang, there's got to be something more, got to be more than this. There's a reason why Stacy Orico sang, there's got to be more to life. And then there's that Billy Joel album from 1993, River of Dreams. Ed Culpepper was telling me about, I don't know how exactly we got off on this, but last Sunday night and during the, uh, the pie eating, we started talking about Billy Joel's album, River of Dreams. And Ed went down the list of the songs and described uh, how each of them is, is obviously a, a, an expression of a longing for something more, particularly the title song from that album, River of Dreams. In the middle of the night, you remember that? In the middle of the night, this just gets you caught up on where we are. <laughs> he says, I go walking in my sleep. And he, so he's, in his mind, he goes down, he describes to the river that's deep and wide, and he looks to the other side, and he's wondering if maybe The answer to the deepest longings of his soul are on the other side. In the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep, he sings. I've been searching for something. Near the end of the song, he sings, I'm not sure about a life after this. God knows I've never been a spiritual man, which is an interesting phrase. God knows I've never been a spiritual man. Baptized by the fire, I wade into the river that runs to the promised land. In the music video for this song, the background music is done by a church choir. And near the end of the video in the river, there's a baptism scene. And in the, as, it, as the song fades, I would never have caught it had Ed not mentioned it. That You can hear in the background this echo of the word Gloria. I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a music critic, but I, I, I don't think it takes a genius to figure out that in that, at that point, at least, in Billy Joel's life, he was looking for more, and somehow he associated it with, with, the, with faith in Jesus, the choir, the baptism, the river. There has to be something more, he's saying, and he's looking beyond that river, and maybe that's where, maybe that's where he wonders it is. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in, in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, 
that tells me I was made for another world. If I find in me a desire that no, other, no experience in this world can satisfy, that says to me, C.S. Lewis wrote, I was made for another world. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God has planted eternity in our hearts. There's a chamber of your heart that longs for that, for that other world. You may live in Huntsville or Hartzell or Hazel Green or Harvest, but you're made for heaven. You were made for another world. Let me talk about two, the two gardens in, in the Bible. One in the first book, the other in the last book. First, of course, in, in Genesis 2, the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2, 8 through 10, and the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he'd formed. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil and a river watering the garden that flowed from Eden. That tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we don't know much about that symbolism. We simply know that God said don't mess with it, and they did, and everything changed. Romans 5.13 says, and sin entered the world. That was the most cataclysmic, catastrophic moment in human history. Don't don't underplay the importance of that moment when everything changed. So now not not only was the planet tainted, but even the human spirit was tainted, and everything was different after that. Then there's the, the tree of life, which symbolizes life at its best and life that never ends. Now, I don't know what you think about evolution, but whatever you think, we all trace our humanness back to the people that Genesis calls Adam and Eve. And we inherited from them two things. One, we inherited this overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing, the sin nature. But we also inherited a longing for Eden. Adam and Eve, the first humans, experienced bliss, this pristine, perfect world where fellowship with God God was perfect. And, And so deep in the human DNA, beyond the insights of the geneticists, beyond what they can see with their microscopes, deep inside us is this memory, this built into us, this memory of Eden where things were wonderful and this longing for a return to Eden. That's why all those singers are singing, there's got to be something more. In the human spirit, there's a longing for Eden, which brings us to the second garden in the last book of the Bible. Revelation 22, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. So there's the river again, and there's the tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil where everything went bad, it's gone. But the river and the tree of life are still there. But Travis, it says that, that it's in the city. Well, it is because everything has changed. Think about Big Spring. You know, 250 years ago, that Big Spring uh, over there was a place where Native Americans came to get their water, where deer would come down to get their water. It was in the middle of the wilderness. And then John Hunt began to build about 1805, and things began to change. So now that Big Spring is in the middle of a city, but it's still the same 
spring. Every, you know, things have changed in the universe, but the source of our hope has not. That tree of life, that river that flows from it, that is still, that's the restoration of Eden. Northrop Fry is a, is a literary critic. I don't even think he's a believer, but when he read the Bible, he said, look, it has a U-shaped plot. It starts up here and everything goes to pot, but then at the end of the story, we're right back where we started with that garden. We inherited from Adam and Eve a longing for Eden, and it is finally, there is the possibility for its restoration in another world. Eden, the return to Eden, is not here. We were made for another world. And that's where our hope lies. Mike Pierce, most of you know Mike, and Brenda Mike was our minister of missions until a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks after his retirement, they went to Kentucky to visit a friend near Bowling Green. And on the way back, they decided instead of coming down 65, they would go the the scenic route down country roads. And uh, when they got back, They watched our service that morning, and I was talking about hope, and so Mike emailed me, and he said, I wish you had seen what we saw on this scenic route. I wish he said I had taken a picture, and he described what he had seen. It was a little country cemetery, and the name of it, I actually found a picture of it online. The name of it is Little Hope Cemetery. And Mike and Brenda laughed and said, who'd want to be buried in Little Hope Cemetery? And I wondered, who do you bury at Little Hope? Is it the guy, you know? Uh, he, was, he was quite a character. We, we'll bury him in Little Hope uh, Cemetery. You know, I don't want to be buried in Little Hope Cemetery. If there's a place called complete hope and ultimate hope, then, then that's where I want to be buried. Because I have ultimate hope, not because of my character, but because... Because my hope for this world and the next is in the Lord Jesus. When when I'm on my deathbed, if I know what's coming, that I'm going to be sad and I'm going to be disappointed because um, I love life. But one thing I'm going to have is hope. And so when you say to somebody, did you hear... Travis died, and they say, oh, I didn't hear that. What did he die with? You tell them he died with hope. Because I was made for another world. And I know that reasonable happiness is possible here. I know supreme happiness is not. But there is a land. There is a land where... Hearts are healed, and tears are dried. There is a land where people people who've never walked will dance. There is a land where people uh, whose hearts were so heavy in this world, they couldn't bring themselves to sing. There is a land where they find their song. There is a land There is a land where dreams come true. 
There's a land where souls finally are satisfied. There is a land of no disappointment, but it ain't here. I'm headed there because of my faith in Jesus. And as preachy as it sounds, I hope you are too. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation to invite.